Hi everyone, I'm here with Jackie Wilkins, who is a naturopath who combines earth wisdom and indigenous plant medicine with traditional alternative medicine practices. Um, Jackie, what got you into earth wisdom and indigenous plant medicine? Hi, um, yeah, so that's a big, that's a big question. Um, but essentially my background, uh, my ancestry, I am indigenous Yakima as well as German and Irish. Um, so from a very young age, I had a deep connection to the earth and to um, just all the trees um, growing around. I grew up in Montana, so nature is everywhere. I mean, nature is always everywhere, but in Montana, there's just not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of distractions. There's not a lot of people, um, not a lot of big cities or anything like that. So um, growing up, I had a cottonwood tree that was actually my friend um, that I would connect with and speak to. Um, and I just sort of thought that this was, you know, a normal thing. Um, and I would make um, like plant medicine and potions and all of this. Um, yeah, growing up. And then I kind of veered off my path a little bit as, as that can happen sometimes. Um, but I kept hearing in the back of my mind just this call to return back to the plants, back to the earth, back to my indigenous roots, as well as you know, my European ancestry as well, and really getting to know um, how all of my ancestors worked with, with medicine um, from all over, all over um, the world where, where we've been. So hearing that call really brought me back into um, the realm of plant medicine, of earth medicine, um, but I didn't even know herbalism was a career choice. So again, growing up in Montana, there aren't really herbalists, so I wasn't exposed to that. I played with the plants, and I always made formulas and made teas and I always had herbs around me, but I didn't know that it was a career or even a thing. I didn't even know a single herbalist um, or had a book or anything. Um, and so I thought I had to become a naturopathic doctor. Um, and so that was the next, um, the next step on my path. But so yeah, that's kind of the abbreviated long answer is that um, it's just always been, it's just always been who I am to, um, to work with the plants and connect with them. It's just now deepening, um, that and kind of reclaiming my medicine and roots um, through working with the earth and, and sharing that with others. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you do, how you combine the, the wild herbalism with uh, naturopathy. Um, because I find when you go to a naturopath, they give you all these supplements and uh, all these pills. Um, and it, you kind of wonder what you're taking sometimes and what it's doing. Um, but I find like having more of a relationship with the plants that are healing you, the plant medicines, um, you know, by foraging them and maybe growing them yourself is so much different than, you know, buying something on Amazon or, or just from a naturopath. Uh, I find that like the, the combination um, of the kind of wilder herbalism with uh, the more traditional alternative medicine is interesting. Um, how do you find uh, like you built relationships with plants uh, for healing? Yeah, I think you, you make some really great points. And I actually struggled with that a lot in naturopathic school. So the, the roots of naturopathic medicine are more of a vitalistic roots where um, like our, our inherent goal is to bring harmony back into the individual um, by connecting them with nature and like their own true nature because we are not separate from nature, right? So the, the roots of naturopathic medicine really do encompass that. And even in our um, oath, so we are um, essentially, we're doctors um, recognized in many states and, and um, provinces here, but in our oath, we actually have like say that we um, part of our intention is to um, heal connections that people have with the earth as well. But we've kind of strayed from that, and it's become, like you said, more westernized um, and just very supplement focused with no relationship. And so while I was in school, um, my spirit just kind of felt a little defeated um, learning 
so much um, of the plants in, in a book and um, like the medical side, which is beautiful. But so I started growing my own um, medicines because that was the only way that I felt comfortable prescribing a plant to a patient. Like if I don't have a relationship with that plant, it just, I don't know the plant, right? I don't know the essence or the spirit of the plant. Um, and so I started growing my own medicine, going out, um, taking my plant ID book and like just going out um, for like hikes and just connecting with the plants um, through that way. And I found that that really helped helped me be a better practitioner, of course, um, because then even when I'm sitting with a patient, I can almost like call in that plant that I know will go with that person's spirit. So it's almost like combining like the two um, together, um, which is really beautiful. And, and um, I think really, yeah, really important part of, of practicing naturopathic medicine is having a relationship to, to the earth. I mean, nature is in the word, right? Like naturopathic. And uh, yeah, we've, we've gone away from that a little bit. So it's, yeah. It's a little sad, but I think there's more people coming back to the vitalistic um, side of things. Yes, definitely. I, I've seen how much herbalism and the interest in it has grown over the last few years even. Um, people are realizing that nature has cures for a lot of things that can go maybe deeper to the root of the problem um, than a lot of traditional Western medicines that seem to be like a very big business that wants to keep you uh, hooked on it um, for life. Uh, and I think Western medicine, allopathic medicine is great, obviously, when you have a disease and, and certain illnesses, uh, you know, it's made extraordinary achievements and lengthening people's lifespans, but there's an emptiness to it often. Uh, there's a lot of that lack of relationship to nature uh, that kind of is a more spiritual thing of like that connection people feel and that meaning. Um, and I think really when people take control of their health um, with plants and really learn about the ecology, it really improves a lot of things. Um, do you have any plants in particular that really inspired you and kind of uh, healed you? Yes, definitely. There's so many. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough question. Um, Cottonwood, the one that I mentioned, the tree that um, was my first tree friend, um, <laughs> that, that Cottonwood spirit really brought me back to. It was actually my first year of naturopathic um, medicine. It was uh, like a class on our, our roots, our foundation. And uh, my professor said something like, I, I speak to plants. And there was a side of me that, you know, the more like westernized side that was like, no, like, that's not, that's not possible. And then all of a sudden, all of these memories flooded back from like me from like remembering that I speak to plants and that it, that is something that I've always carried. Um, and so the cottonwood tree is kind of the, the plant medicine that really helped me remember who I am. Um, Interesting. My connection to the earth um, and to the, you know, to the greater like cosmos or collective consciousness as well, the universe. Um, so cottonwood is sometimes called like the axis mundi, connecting us to the earth as well as like the cosmos, um, which I found later in life. Obviously, I didn't know that um, as a child, but it's also a very heart um, heart opening plant. So it has a constituent of salicylic acid, which is like the same as aspirin. So just helping like our blood flow and and um, connect us back to our hearts as well. So. Yeah, cottonwood. Cottonwood's a really close plant friend. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Um, do you grow any any plants, uh, any medicines, or any kind of adaptogenic like plants in your own garden? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I have, I grow all like for the Pashamama medicines like line, the product line. I grow all of my own, or do a little bit of wild crafting as well. Um, so I grow, I think, over forty-five different herbs and medicines. Yeah, so in the garden, um, like I'm looking at like yarrow, alicampane, um, 
ashwagandha is like behind me, rhodiola is over there, um, sage, white sage, mugwort, lots, lots. So that's why it's a tough question because I feel like they're all, um, they're all around. Um, yeah. and they supported me um, as I form relationships with the different plants or as I start dreaming about them or hearing them call, I find um, that, I, that I'm working with them as I need them. Um, so for some listeners, yarrow is one that is often a really wonderful um, plant medicine to start working with. It's really helpful for like boundaries um, and, and just healing, healing in general. Um, so that might be one. And that one really helped me early on in my path to establish healthy boundaries. Um, being like a sensitive person, feeling the energies of the earth and other people, yarrow flower essence is one that really helped me to um, stay in my own energy space and not take on um, other people's or even the plant's energy and just to be um, grounded within myself. Interesting. Um, you mentioned mugwort. Um, that's a very interesting medicine often called, uh, you know, being witch's brew in the, the famous witch's garden from European yeah. herbalism. Um, tell me a little bit about that plant. Yeah. Oh, I love mugwort so much. So as you said, yes, it is more of like a witch's herb. So sometimes it's called like cronewort. So calling in like the wisdom of the, the older generations, the ancient um, ancestors and witches. Um, and so I really do resonate with that, that plant a lot. I'm looking at it right now. Sorry. Um, so I actually make smoke wands with, with mugwort instead of working with maybe like white sage, even though I grow that as well, just to connect more of um, like our European ancestry here. Uh, so mugwort's really helpful for dreaming and creating like a space for like visions and just connecting to like a higher a higher consciousness. Um, it's it's also very protective, um, which is helpful if you're yeah if you're doing any sort of like journeying or drumming or anything like that. Um, and I'm also make like an oil an oil from it, so you can just work with um, the mugwort oil topically again for like that protection. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful it's a really beautiful plant. But it is said that if if you see mugwort growing, then a witch a witch lives uh, lives there. <laughs> Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So usually grown um, in the like in the front door to kind of protect that and let people know that like that's a medicine person's house. So not just a witch, but like a witch or a medicine person that that's a place that they could go um, for healing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've taken it before for lucid dreaming, and it's actually very very effective. Um, yeah, remembering your dreams and, and the vividness of your dreams. Um, it's amazing how a plant medicine like that can just have such an impact. Um, and, and it's very subtle as well. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting, um, you know, what's available in, in, in the traditional witch's garden, what's available in different traditions of herbalism around the world. And it's interesting how now everything is kind of cross-pollinated, uh, especially in North America. You have such a mix of different cultures and, and different traditions kind of like finding the unity and common ground across them. Um, and you use Pachamama uh, for your, for your, your brand you know, the goddess uh, of the indigenous people of the Andes. Um, why do you think people resonate so much with indigenous traditions today? Yeah, yeah, I love this question so much. Um, I, so I have a lot of theories. I've sat with this quite a bit myself, asking, asking myself this question quite a bit. So I think a lot of people are starting to awaken to, um, awaken to the energies of the earth and awaken to their own, their own bodies and their own body's energy and sort of, I mean, it can be called like empathy or being sensitive, but just awake, just awakening in general. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect, um, I think, where if people are not indigenous to North or South America, um, there's a little bit of disconnect of where, where are my roots, right? Like, 
I mean, maybe they're in Europe, but what did my ancestors practice? That was such a long time ago. And then in addition to kind of not being able to maybe find that information really accessibly, I think there are still some wounds there and some grief that people hold in their hearts where, you know, a lot of people who came over here, settlers, um, you know, they were forcibly removed as well. And there is still some grief in that mm-hmm. wound of being taken from their own land. So there's the wound of colonizing another indigenous group. And then there's also the wound of being colonized that we all kind of carry. And so in a way, I think that um, when we awaken to the land we're on, we're feeling the indigenous ancestors of that place and we're feeling um, the keepers of the land. But then I think we're also kind of looking for a way because sometimes it's human nature to want to avoid pain. We're kind of looking for a way to connect to um, something that seems easier or more accessible so that we don't have to face the grief of losing our own traditions and losing our own culture and losing our own identity and our own roots. and then also it's just, we maybe look to, um, to groups and people who are still practicing, right? So indigenous people are still practicing their traditions and we're still holding ceremony regularly and we're still gathering together. Um, and because Canada is such a blend that um, we don't see a lot of, you know, Druid gatherings or Celtic, you know, I'm Irish, so like, or Celtic gatherings or things like that as much. Um, and so also kind of looking to what's, what's around um, instead of going deeper, deeper within ourselves and also deeper within our research and figuring out what, what did our ancestors work with? What plants called them? What traditions and ceremonies did they have? So I think definitely it's multifactorial for sure in, in, that, um, in that connection. And then also just the indigenous, that connection to the land isn't gone either, right? So um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. We, we can really feel that, um, that the indigenous um, connection is still is still really there and, and wanting to connect with that yeah it's interesting and now that we're living in such urban areas and, and more and more people are migrating to cities very few people today really live in their indigenous lands uh, their ancestral lands um, they've migrated uh, into a city um, so I think people have that craving for that connection with with the wilderness with land that is not suburbanized or with farms and the city and everything um, so that's very interesting, um, uh, especially in the Toronto area as well. Uh, a lot of people are new to Canada or they're new to Toronto. They came from other parts of Canada. Um, so it's interesting to connect to the land in this area. Um, what about the land in this area kind of really strikes you? Um, oh, that's, I, I, love, I love this question too. These are all wonderful questions. So the land here, um, I have a personal deep relationship um, obviously with this land. So being from Montana, um, I just really felt called to always live around the Great Lakes. So I went to university up in Sault Ste. Marie on the, um, on the Michigan side, but I always kind of sat with the Great Lakes there, the Lake Superior. Um, and then funnily enough, I ended up here, not really knowing anyone in Toronto um, when I first moved here. Um, and so there's definitely something about the land here that is very um, healing and that is really calling people in to learn. So um, like I get a little emotional speaking about it kind of because I feel like I wouldn't be like where I am um, in my own, like even reclaiming like my own medicine or my own ancestry without, without Toronto or without the land here, without Ontario, kind of holding that space and the plants here, they're just so lush and abundant with the, um, like the climate that we have here. And so I've just, it's taught me so much about the, the plants and all of the medicines. So yeah, the striking thing I think is just 
really um, the land here is calling people, calling people in to heal and to not just heal um, the land here and the ancestors here, which is really important, but to heal um, all of our collective um, ancestry and the land all over, all over the earth. So, yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, Toronto in the city itself is a little is a little difficult because you know the buildings can kind of get in the way of that connection. Um, but I always say that you know nature, we are nature, um, and then nature is all around us. So even if you're in a large city like Toronto, like you're still in nature all the time because one, you are, and two, nature is just it, it just is everything, right? And so you can still you know motherwort grows all over. So I've been walking and I found mugwort actually in in um, downtown Toronto too. So you can just walk by and find these plants just growing um, out of the cement too. So it's there. Yeah, nature is is resilient, um, and it is interesting that the area around Toronto, the Carolinian Forest, is I, I've I've been told it's one percent of Canada's landmass, yet over thirty percent of Canadians live in it. Um, because it is so fertile and there's such biodiversity of plants here. Um, it is a really magical place, especially with the, all the waters and the streams and the underground aquifers and underground rivers. It's just a land of water. Yeah, it is definitely so beautiful. Um, what are your thoughts of the reconciliation that's going on between Canadians, the government, uh, the people of Canada and the traditional indigenous people of this country? Yeah, that's a that's a really um, big question as well. So, it yeah, it can go like a lot of different ways. I think it's really beautiful. Um, again, that as people start to awaken um, to the energies of the earth and the energy like of themselves and the land, that that they're starting to um, want to reconcile kind of our our collective history here in Canada. Um, and so. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I also think that a lot of work still needs to be done. Um, so really beyond just acknowledging like the land acknowledgements, I think are such a beautiful and important practice to acknowledge the history of the land. But beyond that, not just knowing like who, but knowing what happened to the people of the land that we're on, um, what is the history there? Um, and then from there, working through kind of any grief that comes up within us, again, kind of um, facing that, that pain or that grief or that sadness um, and really working through that, working through the biases maybe um, that, that have been carried on through generations. Um, so, you know, people have just been born into kind of this way of being um, and those biases are kind of inherent and passed on from generations. So I think really working, working um, on an individual basis at, at reconciling that within our own hearts is really, really important. And then taking action to support indigenous communities, artists, um, people who own restaurants, um, and, and also looking into how we're consuming things as well. So, um, you know, we all kind of, well, I think most people know like White Sage, Palo Santo, things like that, but even crystals are calling in that energy into our homes. We have to be um, aware of where we're like essentially harvesting because it's all coming from the earth. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's really important. Um, in that reconciliation process of just knowing where the things we're consuming are coming from um, or like products like Nestle who are, are taking from um, indigenous like reserves and um, depriving them of clean water. So just avoiding, you know, avoiding those types of products, knowing what reserves are around you. Do they have access to clean water? Just being curious with like an open heart and then acting, acting from that place, I think, I think is important. Yeah, it is interesting to kind of, I think also to build a relationship with indigenous people in your area um, it, uh, because 
a lot of people don't really know much about them. Um, and maybe the indigenous people they meet are in the city and they meet them on the terms of the kind of working and all that kind of stuff. Um, but to actually go to say six nations near Toronto and learn about their separate nation, how it's actually a separate nation from Canada. Um, and that there's over 500 these nations in uh, North America. Have you ever uh, seen the film um, 500 Nations? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's a really good uh, film. Uh, it's narrated by Kevin Cosner, but uh, it's highly regarded in a lot of indigenous communities um, just because it tells the story of all the different nations, the diversity of nations and languages, and, and uh, they're, they're all having different connections in different areas of North America to the land. Um, it's very, very, very interesting. Uh, uh, it's a whole series. Beautiful. Thank you. I'll have to watch that. Yeah, so I, I am studying um, the Anishinaabe language right now, as well as my own ancestors, the Yakima language, too. So, and it, it is so different, the traditions, the way we relate, our ceremonies. So, yeah, it's, it's very diverse. Yes, and the languages are so important. I have a friend, um, he's Indigenous, uh, Anishinaabe as well, actually, and uh, he went through uh, university and ecology and he learned to teach in the forest and a lot of the Western ecology. Um, and then he never really could speak his own language. And then later in life, um, he was convinced to learn it and he started to learn it. And, and then he realized learning the language was a whole education in ecology, uh, like in how to connect with the land, how to learn from the land. And it just, like he initially from his university education he's like oh why would I want to learn that language it's old language but then when he learned it, it was like this living language that like totally changed his relationship to the world around him in this really beautiful way and he just blossomed as a person as, as a teacher um, and I think that's a big thing with indigenous people um, teaching their language to other people but but, but reviving the languages that were destroyed by the residential schools almost destroyed in many ways um, because there's important ecological knowledge in these languages. And I've always been very interested in, and they found some research where when indigenous people stop uh, talking their language, often the ecosystem starts to fall apart as well because the language is like, helps them relate to the ecosystem. And when they get colonized and they lose that, then the language or the, or the, the, um, the, the connection to the land is lost and is, has a lot of negative repercussions. Definitely. Yes, that's definitely very true. So in the garden here, um, I'm learning each of the plants, or I'm trying to learn. It's very, very slow, but each of the plants um, Anishinaabe names so I can relate to them um, in that way here. And I, I think they enjoy being being referred to in that way. And it does definitely shape the, the connection that we have um, because language is part of our identity too, right? So when we start to reclaim like our language, we start to reclaim um, like our story, our history, um, the way our ancestors worked with the land and the world. Um, and, and that really, everything can flourish from there, I think. Interesting. So um, how long have you been learning it for? Not long, like yeah? maybe a year. Okay. So very, very slow and just on my own. So I would love to take a course. So I've been looking into something that fits with my schedule. Um, but so it's very, very slow. Being around speaking is really important. So I'm from... Um, well, my, my ancestors are from the Columbia River Valley area in Washington. And so it's harder for me to learn um, the Sahaptan language because I, I don't hear it spoken, where I, um, I attend a lot of Anishinaabe ceremonies. So I'm starting to pick up the language easier through speaking, speaking with others. Um, so I find that 
and that's that's another big big topic in its own right just being around um, being around our language can help us to to learn um, and to be able to relate in a different way so hearing it's important yes it's interesting with languages you learn it from a book or from an app um, you you don't really learn how to really practice it and really relate with it very well but then when you're with native speakers it just changes everything and, and i think also with with indigenous languages really learning them outside uh not just in this traditional western classroom um but really working with elders outside um, i hope there's like a, a huge flourishing of that in the coming years where elders are are able to to teach this outside to their children and to 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 settler people as well um and, and it's interesting that, the, that there's more and more interest in these languages and and hopefully soon they'll be taught more and more by indigenous people in the universities and in, in public schools and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. It's beautiful. I love that intention. Um, so you live, it seems like pretty close to natural rhythms um, and cycles. And um, how do you feel like living in alignment with natural rhythms kind of benefits your health? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of the foundation of, of health and healing, right? Like living, living, with the rhythms of nature, because again, we are nature. So when we are able to live within like, the seasons, um, the equinox, the solstices, we're kind of, um, we're helping our body sync up to the natural rhythms of nature and the natural rhythms that we hold within ourselves. So, you know, if we wanted to look at like the medical side, like even having like our cortisol curve um, be in alignment with the, the rhythms of the earth can help us, can help our hormones, help depression, help anxiety. Um, because when we're in harmony with nature, we're also in harmony with ourselves. So that just impacts our overall health completely. Um, but then even just being able to understand that that the environment does really impact us, I think is important because if we're having like, let's say a, um, a day where we're feeling like maybe a little bit low mood or depressed or something like that, and we can look outside and say, okay, yeah, like, you know, it's been raining for a week and spring hasn't come yet. So we're kind of being asked to stay in that hibernation mode a little bit longer. And so we can look to like mama earth nature to reflect maybe like what we need to be working on, you know, or like just allowing to be instead of, you know, thinking like, okay, what's wrong with me? Why am I, why am I still kind of feeling gloomy or feeling a little bit stuck or stagnant? And then we can look outside and be like, oh yeah, because spring hasn't fully arrived yet and the sun hasn't renewed our energy yet. And, and so we can um, allow more compassion and grace for ourselves as we move through things um, with nature instead of thinking that there's something wrong and like we need to rush to fix it and feel like this false sense of whatever it may be or same with anxiety. When we remove ourselves from the cycle um, of the earth and, and even of like that connection, anxiety can, can kind of go up. Um, so when we kind of come back into rhythm, usually I find anyway that that really helps people's um, anxiety and worry. Um, and then even just like as, as a female person, like the natural cycles that happen with my body um, can sync up with like the moon and the cycles of the, the earth and the cosmos as well. And so I think especially um, for like menstruating females that that's really, really important to, to sync their cycles to the earth and to the moon. Um, and it's really beautiful, yeah, how much information we can get with that and how much healing um, can happen in our own bodies when we start to come back into those natural cycles. Sure. Interesting. Yeah, I, I found myself um, foraging with the seasons um, has really improved my health. Like uh, in, in the early spring with like dandelions and uh, plantain, all these different uh, kind of um, 
medicines that actually help clean out your blood, your lymphatic system after a long winter. And it's exactly what you need. And then nature provides it. And then I used to suffer from seasonal affective disorder living in Vancouver with the, the long rainy winters. And then I started taking mushrooms in the winter, uh, you know, uh, like lion's mane and reishi and all these adaptogenic mushrooms. And I collect them in the, in the fall. And then I'd find, wow, I feel way better in the winter. And it's like nature provides what we need with the seasons, I find, which is very interesting. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, and, and um, so in naturopathic medicine, we also study Chinese medicine. So even if we look at like the spring relating to the liver, um, the liver organ in Chinese medicine, each, each season relates to like an energetic organ system. The liver is um, all about that stuck energy. Um, so like the lymphatic stagnation and also kind of feeling irritable or angry or um, frustrated. And so a lot of these herbs, like you were saying, like um, dandelion leaf um, and the other, like the greens, like nettle is another lovely one. Cleavers is a huge one in the spring. So all of these like spring green tonics help the, um, help the, um, like the meridians to flow properly as well in, in Chinese medicine and can help kind of like that feeling of frustration or irritability. Um, and they're, they're exactly what we need and they're growing right when we need them. So definitely that's a huge, um, that's a huge impact on our, on our overall health for sure. Yeah, and we also actually release um, dopamine whenever we harvest a, a plant too. So that in itself, dopamine helps our mood. Um, so whenever, if you go out and even just harvest a little bit of like nettle or something like that, you're actually um, boosting your, your mood as you release um, hormones that kind of help you to feel that natural connection because Instagram also releases dopamine, but not in the same way. <laughs> not in the healthiest ways and uh, ways that orient you toward narcissism a bit too much sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting that that relationship of being outside, just being in a forest is good for your health, uh, especially when you're in the city. It's like it's so needed. Um, and then actually digging in the soil, getting your hands dirty, um, you know, and really learning about what nature provides. Uh, there's just so much around us. Um, and and kind of I think we have this hubris today that we're, we know so much more than people did in ancient times. Um, but I think hunter-gatherer people know much more than modern people. They walk through an ecosystem. They know all the plants and all the relationships and the mushrooms and the trees and what they can do. Uh, and, and modern people are in a forest. They just see a forest. Mm -hmm. you know, so, so there's so much we can learn. And, and it's great. Like, Do you do uh, like retreats or adventures where you take people into the forest to kind of give them more practical, hands-on experience? Um, I... I do some plant walks um, once in a while um, where we go out into, yeah, into a forest or onto a trail um, to connect with what's kind of growing around us um, and learn about, yeah, like you were saying, kind of the relationships too, right? Because it's not just learning about like, okay, what is yarrow good for? Um, it's like, who is yarrow growing with? What, what do they like? Um, like, what is their ecosystem? What insects are around? Like everything. So learning like the relationships that we have with the plants and then also what the plants have with each other, with the earth, everything. Um, so definitely I love doing plant walks. I haven't done like an adventure day yet, um, but it's something that's really calling me to just take people out into maybe one of my favorite secluded spots that's, you know, two or three hours outside of the city and really connecting, um, connecting in that way. Um, and I just haven't, I haven't organized that yet because there's also a part of me, um, like that earth protector part where I have this strong desire to share and help people connect back to the earth. Um, and then there's also um, kind of the side where I just 
I know sometimes human nature can be to want to take. And so there's a little bit, yeah. how do we balance that? Like, I don't want to bring, you know, 10 people out and, and harm the plants that we're trying to learn about. Um, so maybe a smaller number and um, forming those small intimate relationships versus a large, a large um, gathering could be a way to do that. Definitely. Yeah. I even find when I teach a lot of the ecology and the foraging, I focus more on mushrooms because mm -hmm. mushrooms, you know, you can actually do so much more for the forest by, by ethically foraging mushrooms. Whereas with a lot of plants, even if you're taking 10 or 20%, um, if the next person takes 10 or 20%, the next person takes 10 or 20%, uh, eventually it's all gone. And, uh, and you're seeing that a lot with like ramps and uh, these hot kind of Instagrammable plants that everyone's just kind of taken too much. Definitely. Yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge um, issue and concern. So even for myself, that's why I have, and not everybody obviously can have like a medicine garden. So I'm also um, like aware and sensitive and compassionate to that, but that's why I grow a lot of what I do um, so that I don't have to um, like wildcraft. And if I do, then it's things like, again, like nettle that are really abundant or cleavers that are really abundant and almost yeah. like a weed or a motherwort even being another big one um, or even hypericum. So things that really grow well um, because yeah, we're in a huge city, so we can't all be going out to the forest mm -hmm. and harvesting 10% because everything would be destroyed and gone um, in that time. And so, yeah, there's a, there's kind of that balance there. I still think the learning part is really important in forming those relationships, but it's kind of asking ourselves, like, do I need to, do I need to harvest this today? Do I really need this? Um, what are my intentions here? Um, and you know, if you do, like if, if something's going on in your life and you really feel like you need whatever that plant is, and of course, but yeah, just being kind of aware of those intentions and coming from the heart, not just to, you know, take, like you said, like a, an Instagram, like trendy photo um, and something like that. So, yeah. I have one final question. Um, Jackie, are you optimistic about the future of humanity? Yes, I am. Um, so I, I think that um, maybe, maybe it's coming from like a little bit, like not a naive place, but I think I'm just also like an optimistic person. So um, I feel the heaviness and the weight of the world and the earth. And I've actually, um, I don't call myself a channel really, but I've actually received messages from the earth um, and kind of channeled, channeled that information. And it is, it is like really sad and scary some days for sure. Um, but I just, I see so much um, like hope and awakening happening within the collective. And so that really gives me hope for for humanity's future. I'm not sure what that will look like or how that will look, but I just, um, yeah, I guess I really believe in the power of, of connection and the power that we have to come back into relation and walk in a good way with the earth um, while we're here. And so I really believe, I really believe that that, that is, um, and as we connect with our ancestors and, and all of that too, I think there's going to be a lot of healing. Um, and I hope, I hope that it happens fast enough. That's the only, I guess that's the only thing is, um, you know, hearing that message and then acting on it. So not just hearing on it and be like, oh, wait, you know, 10 years. We don't have that. We need to start listening now and healing now and acting right now. Beautifully said, Jackie. Where can people learn out more, more learn more about what you do? Um, yeah, so I have uh, Instagram um, is the best way. That's where I really announce most things, my bio. Um, so it's among the wildflowers. Uh, and then also on, if you Google Passion Mama Medicines Teachable, I have all my online courses, um, some where we sit with the plants and form relationships, I send out medicines. And then I also have a shop called Passion Mama Medicines, uh, and it's an Etsy shop where I make all of my own uh, medicine 
and we send that um, worldwide actually as well. So those are three different places. Um, so Among the Wildflowers and Passion Mama Medicines are my two, my two names. Great. Thank you very much for your time, Jackie. Thank you so much.